Have you ever had a question and wanted to know clearly what the Bible has to say about it? Well, in this podcast, Bible Answers for Today's Christians, we will learn together what God's Word really says. Glad about that tonight. Amen. All right. Take your Bible with me, please, tonight. Let's go to the book of John, chapter number four. The book of John and chapter number four in your Bibles tonight. I want to speak to you tonight on a doctrinal message. You know, um, the Bible teaches that we should know doctrine. We should know uh, some important doctrines in the Bible. And we should know uh, the error of doctrine in our Bibles. Uh, Not in our Bibles, but how some people see error in the Bible. We need to understand uh, by the way, we have a Bible that is inerrant and infallible. God gave us His preserved Word. It's inerrant. It's infallible. There's no mistakes in the Bible. Amen. And we're going to look at a subject tonight. We're going to look at the subject of Calvinism tonight. We're going to study the Bible, see what the Bible says about this important subject and why Christians need to understand Um, about this mentality and philosophy. John chapter 4 is where we'll take our text. So let's begin at verse number 7 of John chapter 4. Now this passage is the passage of the woman at the well. And um, we do not know exactly if the woman in the well got saved. I believe she did. The Bible doesn't exactly say it. But um, there are some important points and some important things to understand about this passage and some others that we're going to look at tonight uh, about this subject. So let's begin verse number 7 in your Bibles tonight. Notice the Bible says here, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For the disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, Ask us a drink of me, who am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me that water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Let's pray tonight. Father, thank you for the Bible tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to look in it and to open our hearts, God, to your word tonight. And God, we need you tonight. We need to hear from heaven again tonight. Lord, so we pray that you would meet with us. Your promise is, is that where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst. We claim that promise tonight and ask you to meet with us in a wonderful way. Teach us this amazing subject, God, and 
Teach us the error of it, Lord, that we may understand, Lord, what your word is teaching us and trying to accomplish in our lives. So we pray these things and we'll thank you for them in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, there's a philosophy out there today that I believe has a, a, a mixture of wrong in it. And it is a doctrine called Calvinism. And uh, Calvinism, what is Calvinism and what is it? And uh, let's, I want to explain it tonight and give you scriptures to why Calvinism is wrong. Uh, John Calvin was originally a Catholic priest uh, who lived in the 1500s. He broke off of the Catholic Church because he felt that what, a lot of what they were teaching was not biblical. And on that point, he was true and right. John Calvin believed in a reliance upon Scripture alone for practice of faith in the church. And John Calvin believed that the Bible was the only church's authority and that they needed no other. Can I tell you that is true? That is true. I want you to know that a church's authority is, is not a convention, it's not a, a synod, it's not a, uh, it's not a headquarters somewhere. Those are not the authorities of the local church. The Word of God is the authority of the local church. And the Word of God ought to be our authority for all faith and practice in our life. That's why God gave us the Word. Amen? That's why we have it. So, um, this man, John Calvin, he taught some things. He, he understood and he got this idea in his head about, um, about God being sovereign, okay? And God is sovereign, but John Calvin took it to the next level. And he developed a philosophy on it that today we know of as the tulip philosophy, and this philosophy, T-U-L-I-P, each point has a meaning of what John Calvin taught. And let me give it to you. The first thing, the T he taught was total depravity. And this asserts or believes that as a consequence of the fall of sin, every man is enslaved to sin. We are not by nature inclined to love God, but rather we serve our own interests and reject the rule of God. Now, I believe that's true. I believe that's true. I believe men do have a sinful nature and that it is in our nature to reject God. Secondly, the U is called unconditional election. Now, this is where John Calvin said that God chose from eternity. Hear me now. Listen to this one. God chose from eternity those who he will bring to himself, not based on any merit or faith in those people, but rather his choice is unconditionally grounded in his mercy alone. And that God has chosen from eternity to extend mercy to those who he has chosen and to withhold mercy from those that he has not chosen. Now that's wrong, and we're going to look at why scripturally that's not true and why that's not right. Amen. 
But thirdly, John Calvin taught the L is limited atonement. Now this idea asserts that Jesus' substitutionary atonement, where he paid, where he became our substitute, uh, this substitutionary atonement was definite and certain in its purposes in what it accomplished. It implies that only the sins of the elect were atoned for by Jesus' death. All right? Number four, the I is called irresistible grace. This idea asserts that the saving grace of God is effectually applied to those to whom God has determined to save and overcomes their resistance to obeying the call of the gospel. In other words, they're saved in God's mind whether they want to be or not. All right? And so, this means that when God's sovereignly purposes to save someone, that that individual certainly will be saved despite their own desire or their own will. Number five, the fifth, the P, is what he calls the perseverance of saints. And this idea asserts that since God is sovereign and his will cannot be frustrated or changed by humans or anything else, those whom God has called uh, unto himself only will continue in faith until the end. Now, let me just say that this idea, and we're going to look at Scripture as to why this idea is wrong. It basically says that because God is sovereign, and He is, that means in John Calvin's mind that God's going to pick people to be saved, uh, and those uh, and others who are not will not have a chance to be saved, but only those who God picks. In other words, there's no human will involved. There's no desire on man's heart. It's just simply God picking and choosing. God cherry picking certain people. Now can I tell you tonight, we're going to look at scripture as to why that mentality is wrong. But the reason I'm even speaking on the subject to you tonight is because this is a popular idea that's going around today. It's becoming more and more popular. It's, it's catching wind, so to speak. And, and this idea of Calvinism is really drifting and, and, and getting into the churches today. Now, before I go on further, let me say that Calvinism created three other false doctrines, okay? The other false doctrine that he created is called fatalism. Fatalism teaches that you and I are just total, um, we are totally helpless victims. There is nothing that we could even think or do in the right way, and so God has to pick certain ones to be saved. Now, another doctrine that comes from it is Arminianism. Now, Arminianism actually came from a, a guy who was under um, John Calvin named Justin Arminius. And he taught a doctrine similar to the five points of Calvinism, but his doctrine was a little bit different than John Calvin's. And 
There's not much, there's a few Arminians out there today, but can I tell you, um, we won't go into all because there's five points of Arminianism, or there's actually more. So we're not going to go into that. But suffice it to say, Arminianism is an offshoot of Calvinism that teaches um, that man, God picks in his sovereign will and in his sovereign grace only those whom he desires and wants to be saved. Now, there's a third one that comes from Calvinism, and that is called hyper-Calvinism. Now, hyper-Calvinism, can I tell you, is the worst of all of the mentalities that comes from Calvinism. Somebody once said that hyper-Calvinism is Calvinism on steroids. I don't know, but you be the judge. But here's what it teaches. Hyper-Calvinism teaches the response, it denies any responsibility of man to take responsibility in his own way of, as being a sinner. It takes away any and all incentive to witness and to give the gospel of God because God has already predetermined who will and who will not go to heaven or hell. It's this idea that they deny the whosoever will or the whosoever uh, may come. And so as a consequence, they not only don't evangelize, but they often are anti-evangelistic because, hey, why go out and why should we go out? Why should we tell people if God said they're already appointed to those who are going to be saved? So why share the gospel? Why tell that neighbor? Why tell that friend? Because God's going to pick that person if he wants. I don't have to be a witness. I don't have to tell the gospel to anyone. Now the question is, is that true? And the answer is no. And here's, we're going to look at scripture tonight. And I had you go to John chapter 4 because my first point comes from John chapter 4 in this story of the woman of the well. In John chapter 4, in the text that we read tonight, Jesus leaves Jerusalem, he comes to Samaria, and he meets a woman at the well. He tells her in verse number 10 that there is a gift of God. Notice verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the what? The gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me drink. Now notice, first of all, it's a gift. A gift can be accepted or it can be rejected. That's the nature of a gift. Uh, secondly, he told her, if you ask Jesus, notice in verse 10, if you ask him, it says he will give you living water. You see that in verse 10? Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Now, why didn't Jesus just say, I've already chosen you to be saved? Because you see, there was a point at which her human will had to turn and recognize that she had to ask God for this, the living water. It was not God that just, boom magically said, you're saved. And by the way, if Jesus was God, then he would have known that she was saved 
had Calvinism been a true doctrine. But notice then also, he says in verse 14, look at verse 14. He said, whosoever drinketh of the water that I give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now notice whom the offer of the gift is for. Whosoever. Whosoever. God said it's for everybody. God said get the word to everybody. Give the living water to anybody who wants it. Amen? That is the point. Hey, I want to tell you something. And then notice what her response was when she heard that in verse 15. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I, may, that I thirst not. <clears throat> Listen. She asked God for it. She turned to God and she desired it. It was not God fatalistically giving it to her. It was not God just cherry picking her for salvation. In fact, the scripture doesn't even tell us that she was saved. I believe she was. I believe she knew Christ. But the point of the passage is to say and to cause us to understand that you and I can give the gospel to whosoever will. It's open to anyone who takes the water of life freely. Amen. Now let me say secondly, let's go to Romans chapter 1. The book of Romans chapter number 1. Now don't lose me. I know you've got to use your thinking cap tonight, but, but uh, don't lose me. Romans chapter number 1. And let's begin at verse number 16. Now, here Jesus uh, has ascended and, and gone to heaven here in Romans chapter 1. This is, um, uh, look at verse 16. Um, the Apostle Paul says here, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to them that are in Rome also. So God commanded him to spread the gospel so that the gospel's power can speak to the lost man through his word. It's the power of God through the preaching of the word of God that causes men to understand their need of salvation. Um, think of a man who has never turned to Christ and realized that he saved them from their sins, but automatically he thinks he's saved. There's, uh, he, he, he is automatically picked to be saved. There's no gratitude in his heart for what God has already done because there's no recognition that the word of God, the gospel, is there to change his, his life and is there to give him a new life. So why would God tell Paul to go preach the gospel if there were already those people that were saved there at Rome that God had picked? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just a few pages over. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 18. Notice what the Bible says. It says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Now notice, why is it that God would command us to give the gospel and spread the gospel if God has already chosen people to be saved. 
It is because the preaching of the word of God is what opens up God's power to speak to the heart of mankind so that man can know he's a sinner and in need of a savior. Amen. Amen. Number three, Ephesians chapter six, go over there with me. The book of Ephesians chapter number six. A very interesting point here is given to us as to why Calvinism, hyper-Calvinism are wrong. By the way, I had a lady come up to me in the parking lot one day. I think it was after a car wash. Uh, we had a fundraiser out here, a car wash. Everything was cleaned up and this lady pulled in. And she said to me, she, she believed in, in, that God just picked certain people to be saved and others he did not. And I tried to explain to her the word, whosoever is to anybody. Whosoever will, let him come. Jesus said, it's, it's open for anybody. The gospel's not exclusive. And uh, she always said, but. But this. But that. Hey, let me tell you something. There's, there's no, don't put that in there. Put a period there. Amen? Whosoever will, let him take that water of life freely. And um, I feel bad for the lady. She was confused. But the truth is, she was brainwashed in this idea. And I asked her, I said, ma'am, do you know if you're saved? And she says, well, I don't know. I don't know if God chose me or not. Now, why would God tell us in 1 John 5, verse 13, these things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Amen. That's right. Why would God tell us we could know it if she was living this life where she didn't know if she was saved or not? Can I tell you all it really is? It's Satan's trick to try to deceive man's minds into thinking that they might be saved when really they're not. They have to choose Christ themselves. That's the point. And so, uh, Calvinistic people and hyper-Calvinistic people, they're very confused. There's a lot of confusion. Um, Ephesians 6, look at verse 18 while you're there. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Notice what the Bible says here. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, the Apostle Paul is asking the church of Ephesus to pray for him that he may open his mouth and speak boldly about the mystery of the gospel. So here's the question. Why would the Apostle Paul ask the church to pray for him that he might be a bold witness for Christ if those people that he was witnessing to were either hopelessly unsaved or only chosen to be saved? Why would he ask the church to pray for him as he spoke the gospel? It doesn't make sense. Number four, look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Are you still with me? 
Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Now, most of us know this verse, but look at what it says tonight. It says, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, there again, if God had elected certain people to be saved, why would he command his disciples to go into all the world if people have already been predetermined to be saved? Let me tell you something. It's a false doctrine. It's a lie to try to paralyze the church. It is to tie, it is really to, to seal the lips of the church so that they will not proclaim the gospel to the lost and dying man. And may I tell you what? That is the saddest principle of the whole thing is that it leaves the gospel silent in the ear of the lost man. That's the sad part about it. Isaiah 53, verse 3. You don't have to turn there. The Bible tells us about Jesus in Isaiah 53. It says, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Now, if God already elected certain people to be saved and certain people not to be saved, there would be no such thing as rejecting Christ. How could you reject Christ if he's already determined you're in or you're out? There's no such thing as rejecting because either you're in or you're out. And so if you can understand these points, then you can see really actually how foolish Calvinism and hyper-Calvinism is. And what only it accomplishes, the only thing it accomplishes is it accomplishes that the gospel does not get to a lost and a dying person. The problem is the confusion about scriptures that tell us about predestination, foreknowledge, and election. So let me try my best tonight to clear up these subjects so that they can be explained and understood. Let's go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter number 11. No doubt when you've read your Bible, you've read these words. God's foreknowledge or God foreknew. Or perhaps you've come across the word uh, predestined. Is, is that the same understanding as what John Calvin taught? I say to you, no, it's not. And Scripture clears it up. So I want you to see what Scripture says. Romans. Everybody else is at Romans except for me. And I'm trying to get there. Romans chapter 11. All right, let's look at verse number 2. Romans 11, verse 2. Notice what it says. God hath not cast away his people, which he what? Foreknew. He foreknew his people. Wot ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, well, we're not going to go on to the rest of the verse. But here's the point. The point is that God foreknew who would be saved. 
God knew at the foundation of the world that I would receive him on October 26, 1980 as a teenage boy. God knew that long before I was ever born. That is God's foreknowledge. <clears throat> when you and I are dead and gone, and a hundred years from now, if somebody trusts Christ and gets saved by their own free will, God knew that at the foundation of the world. And that's the difference between us and God. We're not God. We can't know. We can't look hundred years down into the line and see, but God can. This is what God is saying. For knowledge is not so God can foreknow those who are determined to be saved. Oh no. God for knowledge is knowing those who will be saved in the mind of God. That's what he teaches here according to Romans chapter 11 verse 2. Now let me say secondly, Go to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. <clears throat> By the way, let me say this. I'll just throw this out there. One of the reasons we give John and Romans out, why, why did we pick those two books in the Bible? Because the book of Romans makes doctrine very clear. The book of Romans. The book of John makes salvation clear, and the book of Romans makes doctrine very clear. So when you put those two books together, you have a solid foundation on which someone can grow. So I just thought I'd throw that out to you, all right? Now, let's look at Romans chapter number 8, verse 29. Notice what the Bible says here. For whom he did foreknow. Who did he foreknow? The saved, right? He knew that you and I'd get saved that day that you got saved. So he's talking about you and I who got saved. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of the Son of God, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now notice what he said. Those that he foreknew, those are the ones he predestined. That's, that's it. In other words, God said, as best I can explain it, God said, all right, I know you're going to be saved, so I predestined you to be saved. I predetermined it. It's settled. It's settled in the mind of God before the foundation of the world because you chose to be saved. And God says, all right, you're saved. Then that's predestined. That's going to happen. Does that make sense? It is not God saying, all right, I want you to be saved, so you're going to be saved because I predestined you. No, we already knew that he foreknew those who would be saved. And those who would be saved, those are the ones that he predestined to be saved. Okay? Does that make sense? Now, let's look at one more verse. Those who are predestined because they have trusted Christ and God foreknew, they are what's called the elect. The elect are saved people, but they're not saved because God predestined them to be saved. They're saved because they chose Christ, God foreknew it, and predestined it before the foundation of the world. 
Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Oh, this is good. Mm. Sometimes when I preach, the hair just kind of stands up on the back of my neck. That's, that's what I'm going through tonight. 1 Peter. Somebody stole 1 Peter out of my Bible. There it is. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 2. Uh, no, or let's start with verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Here it is. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification of the Spirit unto the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. So notice who the elect are according to verse 2. The elect are those according to the foreknowledge of God. So God foreknew who would trust him them he predestined, and them are the, those are the ones that he has made his elect. The elect are the saved who have willingly, by faith, chosen Christ. And let me say again, salvation is God, God desires for everyone to be saved. And I believe that God wants everybody to be saved, but not all will be saved. Um, not all will actually trust Christ and desire it, but the Bible teaches us, the Bible says that whosoever is a willing heart, whoever willingly comes to God and says, Lord, would you save me? Jesus says, him I will in no wise cast out. What a blessing. Why would God ask us to come to him if he's already predetermined who's going to be saved and who's not? He's wanting us to come to him because he wants us to choose him. And when you choose Christ, you, God knew that before the foundation of the world. He predestined it. He predetermined it. And when he predetermined it, he made you God's elect. You are chosen, uh, the, the elect of God, because you chose Christ. That's as simple as I can give it, as, as scriptural of an understanding as I can give it tonight. And suffice it to say this, the purpose of the church is not to keep quiet about the gospel. The purpose of the church is to take the gospel because what is it? It's the power of God unto salvation. Right. To everyone that believeth, 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Take that Word of God. That's, by the way, that's why I believe we go soul winning. That's why I believe we go out and t- the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Because God hasn't picked certain ones out that are going to be saved and some that aren't because there are some that are not saved that can be saved if they hear the Word of God and choose Christ. Thank God for that. So I say to you tonight, don't get caught up in this idea. Don't get caught up in the Calvinistic, the hyper-Calvinistic mentality. It is a drain. It literally will drain the life out of a Christian who has a desire to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I tell you this tonight? If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're not saved or if you're online tonight and you're listening to this message, God did not pick you and say you will be saved. And he did not pick you and say you will not be saved. He freely and willingly died on that cross for you. And you can accept him or you can reject him according to your own will. But when you know there's a God that loves you and died for you, you'd be a fool to reject the saving grace of God. So tonight, if you're here or you're listening online or maybe somebody's tuned in for the first time, can I encourage you and can I tell you this? There's a God that loves you and he died for you and he wants to save you. And if you'll open your heart up to him, he'll save you. But if you reject him, there's eternal consequences in a place called hell forever and ever. Because sin, we're all sinners and God can't let sin into heaven. Because then heaven's just going to be as filthy as this earth is if it's full of sinners. That sin has to be cleansed in the blood of Jesus before we can ever get to heaven. And if we reject Christ, we'll spend eternity in hell. Be clear about the gospel, friend. Know it. Know the truth. Because it's the truth that sets us free. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope this was an encouragement to you. Follow and like our podcast to stay tuned for our next episodes.